Well, I too want to uh, welcome you to Alliance Bible Fellowship this morning and extend a very warm Mother's Day to you. Most of you know, if you come here for any period of time, that I work uh, pretty hard on the introductions to my sermons. You may wonder why. I, I, read, I read a book by Carol Kent on public speaking years ago, and, and she said that you have about 30 seconds to get the audience's attention. In, in 30 seconds, uh, the audience decides whether or not it's worth it to listen to you, which means right about now, I'm out of time, so I better hurry. Did you hear the one about a priest and a pastor and a truck driver who walked into a bar? I'm kidding. <laughs> if you haven't grabbed your hearers in the first minute or so, it's over, or it's at least very difficult to, to draw them back in. I, I guess you could say it the way of an old Russian proverb, it's the same with men as with donkeys. Whoever would hold them fast must first get a very good grip on their ears. Not very nice, I suppose. I'm not comparing you to donkeys, um, but the point is, I do want to grab your ears. I want to grab your attention. I, I suppose you could ask, well, you know, like, isn't the Bible enough? In fact... A visiting father of one of our very own pastors once asked his son, um, why does he spend the first like five or ten minutes of his sermon not saying anything? That was encouraging. <laughs> of course, the, the Bible is enough, and that is where we spend most of our time. But I do want to draw you in, hopefully in a compelling fashion. But I want you to know that that can actually backfire, like the time that my brother who attends church here once asked me, well, that sure was a stretch in your introduction. Or perhaps last week when I developed an introduction that would take us right into our text of verses 6 and 7, only I didn't get to verses 6 and 7. So, like, what do I do now? You remember last week I began by talking about stress, you know, what causes stress and the uh, appropriate or, or the different uh, ways to respond to stress. And, and someone rightly pointed out to me that, I should know better, by the way, with all the doctors who go to church here, that stress is a good thing in, in right doses. For example, medically, John, I got this figured out, if you don't put stress on bones and muscles, if you don't work out, then bones grow weak and, and brittle and muscles develop atrophy. I also use the words stress and anxiety interchangeably, and others rightly pointed out they're actually two different things. I suppose we would actually say it this way, stress or stressful situations are external while anxiety is internal. Anxiety is the result of external pressure that we call stress. That's all true enough. So, my question again this week is, what? How do we deal with the anxiety that comes from stress, especially the stress that comes from relationships since we discovered that, that relationships is the number one stressor in the lives of people? So let me ask it to you again this week this way. Who is it or what is it that is causing you anxiety right now? What is it that is keeping you awake at night? How are we to deal with it? Paul tells us how in our 
text today in our ongoing study of the book of Philippians. So you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. Now, I spent a good deal of time last week reviewing the letter, so I won't um, do so today other than to remind us that one of the challenges facing the church at Philippi was division. It was disunity. We don't really know what the issue was. We don't know what the issues were. But when Paul gets to chapter 4, he finally addresses two women, Euodia and Suntuke, who appear to be the leaders of these factions. The church seemed to have been lining up behind these two women. And, and, and then so having called the church to stand firm together in verse 1, he urges these women in, in, verses two, uh, in verse 2 to, to live in harmony. Well, ladies, will you, just, will you just get along? And then he pleads with the church, verse 3, to do whatever is necessary uh, to help these women to stop divisions. From there, Paul goes on to do what he usually did in his letters when he was getting close to the end, he starts giving a number of imperatives, kind of just one right after the other. Listen, uh, do this, do that, do, do this. And, but, but if we're not careful, and we know that he does this, we might just kind of put it on autopilot to coast to the end of the letter, and we will miss the connection here to unity. He's just urged the church to reconcile. Would you please get along? Then he says, listen. Here are some things that you can do to assist you in this pursuit of unity. Yes, he broadens uh, the application of the commands. We can, we can do that as well. But they are still connected to this issue of unity. First, in verse 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And we, we, we know that joy is a theme that runs through this particular letter. And now he says, if you, this, this is the idea, if you rejoice in the Lord always, if you keep your eyes on Christ and what he has done for you through the gospel, then these petty divisions and jealousies will likely cease. I, I, I pointed out that there are an awful lot of churches across the landscape today that were actually begun actually came into existence because somebody got their feelings hurt. There were petty jealousies and division, and rather than dealing with them, like the Scripture tells us to do, we just went down the street and started another church. And that's a shame. The second thing he said in verse 5, he said, let your gentle spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. That was a, a bit challenging. Because we saw that the word... Gentle means gracious, gentle, kind, tolerant, or my personal favorite, one translation has it, sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. That's what I want you to be. The opposite of that is to be harsh or, or rude. We, we saw that Jesus was described with this particular word, gentle. So if we want to be like our Savior today, then we, we need to be Gentle. I know it's not popular today to be gentle, particularly among men trying to be macho and all that, because the word gentle also means meek, and we all know that meek rhymes with weak, and nobody wants to be weak. But here's one thing I want you to understand Jesus was meek, and the last thing he was was weak. So we got to remember a couple things about this. First, Gentleness, to be pursued, is a fruit of the Spirit. 
You cannot be gentle without the filling of the Holy Spirit. So as you seek to be gentle, remember that it starts each morning, each morning with an intentional surrender to and filling by the Holy Spirit of God. So how did it go this week? Here's a question for you. How did it go this week as you sought to be gentle? I want to remind you that it starts with some special time with the Holy Spirit. God, you got to take control because if I do, we know where this is going. Another thing that we need to understand about this gentleness, surprise, surprise, if we are gentle people, those petty jealousies and divisions will likely cease. This brings us to our text this morning, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and following, then say this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent, if anything is worthy of praise, dwell or think or ponder on these things, and the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice. Don't just think about it. Practice these things, and then... The God of peace will be with you. As I suggested earlier, Paul follows here his typical pattern as he gets to the, near the end of his letter and he starts listing a number of commands, commands that he intends to assist in unity. Yes, there is broader application. We'll make some, but let's not keep, forget that underlying pursuit of, of unity. Here are the commands. Uh, he said, be joyful or rejoice, verse 4. He said, be gentle. We looked at those two last week. Verses 6 and 7, he says, be, be prayerful. And then verse uh, 8, be intentionally thoughtful. Verse 9, be imitators. Now, I know this is going to come as a bit of a shock to you, but as I get into it this morning, I found that I only had time for point 3. Ha. So we'll do verses, uh, I mean, points 4 and 5 next week. So point 3. See, we're almost done. Um, be, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Actually, Paul states it as a negative first. Be anxious for nothing. If external stress brings anxiety, all right, whatever it is that is causing stress out here, Paul is saying, don't let it cause anxiety in here. And now, and remember, don't miss the connection. It's unfortunate that we had to stop at the end of verse 5 because we, the end of verse 5, he just said, the Lord is near. And we saw that what that means is he is near in time and in space. His coming is right around the corner. It's at any minute. He's near. So it's be gentle. And, and he's near. He's right here by his spirit filling you. So he's near. So, so be gentle. And, and because the Lord is near... We could be anxious for nothing. So, so what is it that causes you stress? What is it that brings you anxiety? Well, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Nice, nice, Paul. How do we do that? I mean, that sounds a little bit to me like, don't worry, be happy. Sounds to me like I do got to go to the bar with that priest and pastor and truck driver. I mean, I have to tell you, 
this is a little bit challenging, especially as we look at it and understand really what he's saying. He says, be anxious for nothing. I know that you've got some special circumstances going on. And whatever it is that's keeping you up at night, you think it's okay to be anxious about that. Well, Paul says be anxious for for nothing. One author says it this way. His comprehensive prohibition allows them no exception. Nothing. Absolutely nothing is a proper object of the continuous stress of worry. Really? I mean, come on, really? Don't worry? How do we do that? You're not living in my... How do do we do that? Paul says instead of being filled with anxiety and worry, he says in everything, and we're supposed to notice that, Be anxious about nothing, but in everything. That's the opposite of nothing, by the way. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what happens to be keeping you up awake at night. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, let me just go ahead and and address a thought that perhaps you're having right now. There is an appropriate place for concern. It is, after all, why we pray. There is an appropriate place for concern. However, when, we, when concern moves to debilitating, consuming worry, Paul says, don't do that. In fact, he's got a different suggestion. When you wake up at night and you start worrying about whatever it is that's worrying you, he says, instead of being anxious, start praying. Why? Why, why, why can we not worry? Everybody, why can we not do it? Write this down. This, I wrote this. This is good. Because worry demonstrates a lack of trust in the sovereign goodness of God. Worry demonstrates a lack of trust in the sovereign goodness of God. What we are doing when we worry, we're saying, God, we, I, I know that you're sovereign. I know that you're in control of everything. But in this particular issue, you, I don't think you got it covered. And so I'm going to have to spend some extra time worrying about that because you're not fixing it. This thing falls out of your, outside of your sovereign goodness. Jesus had this to say about worry in Matthew chapter 6. Now, he is talking a little bit more about the physical. He says, for this reason, I say to you, don't be worried about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? That may come as a shock to some of you. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap or gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth Much more than they? Aren't you worth more than birds? And then I remembered, I actually ran up between the first and second service, this poem I read. It's really corny, but it's good. 
Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Really? Who of you, (laughs) by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Can you do that? Worry do that for you? Last week we saw that that medical study that was done showed that stress, anxiety, worry actually makes you sick. Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. I say, not even Solomon, all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Notice what he says, you of little faith. That's an indictment. Because worry is a lack of faith. So. What do we do with our worry? What do we do with our anxiety? What do we do when we wake up in the middle of the night? We pray. Paul actually uses three different words for prayer here. Um, Prayer, supplication, and request. And some suggest that those are just synonyms. He's just kind of throwing out words might be. But if if there is a little different nuance to the words, they might be as follows. Prayer speaks simply, Paul uses it this way, of intercession for others. Praying for other people and whatever is stressing them. Right? Whatever challenges they're facing. Think about it. As you're... Praying for other people, won't it calm your anxious thoughts about them? Uh, As you're praying for others with whom you are in disunity or division, see what that does. Next he says, supplication. This this word denotes an urgent request to meet a need. It's something very specific, very urgent. And, and, And Paul uses this word, Supplication is speaking of something, praying for something for himself and praying for something specific for others. Third word, requests. This refers to naming specific items. That's important. Don't you sometimes get really impressed with people who know how to pray? <laughs> and they, 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 they know how to use all those Christian words and you come away and you go, I have no idea what they said, but it was really impressive. Here, request refers to praying for specific items. In other words, prayer is supposed to be specific, not just Christianized generalities. Now, Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. I want to be very clear about something. It's not as if God is unaware of our needs. It's not like that he doesn't know until we tell him. Hey, God, got this need. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I've really been busy running this part of the universe. You do have a need. No. God is fully aware of everything that is going on in his universe. By praying, letting our requests be made known to God, we are acknowledging our total dependence on him and saying, God, I trust your sovereign goodness. Prayer, you see is more about aligning our hearts to his, not the other way around. When we let our requests be made known, it, it, it's really more for us, making us 
recognize and acknowledge our dependence. So the antidote for anxiety uh, to anxiety for believers is to remember that we have a God of the universe as our heavenly Father, and we can actually walk into His throne room to find grace to help in time of need. That's lots of Christian words there. Hear what I just said. The God of the universe is your, Paul actually calls him daddy, so that you can at any time walk in and find help when you have a need. It's amazing to me. There are lots of things about Christianity that amaze me. But this is amazing, that we can pray to God, the sovereign God of the universe, who is totally in control, nothing happens outside of his notice or his control, and we can pray, and he hears and answers our prayers. The prayers of his people move his hand. Do you get that? I don't. If you could explain that to me afterward, I would be eternally grateful. But we have a sovereign God who is totally in control and he has ordained that he's going to accomplish his purposes through my prayers. Finite, faulty prayers, puny prayers that I offer. It's amazing. Notice Paul says, when we pray, we are to enter his presence with thanksgiving. Don't don't, don't speed over that. You're supposed to take notice. This is a key concept throughout Scripture. God's people are supposed to be thankful people. And you say, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. I don't have anything to be thankful for. Yes, you do. I want to remind you that Paul is writing this from prison. Paul is writing this, the guy who's later going to be martyred for his faith. You want to, do you want to compare Even if we feel like that we have nothing to be thankful for, we can be thankful to God for his great love for us demonstrated in the gift of his son through the, through the gospel. And for that, we can be eternally grateful. Now think about it. If you pray these specific requests in whatever you're facing without thanksgiving, Without thanksgiving, it just gives you permission to complain. Gripe, moan, just like the people of God did in the Old Testament. Paul says that this ingratitude, not being thankful, is the first step toward idolatry. In Romans chapter 1, he says, speaking of humanity in general, who ignored the majesty of God that could clearly be seen in creation, he says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor were they thankful. That's that's kind of strange. How is this lack of, of gratitude part of not honoring God? Because people of God, children of God, It is not being satisfied with God and his sovereign care for us. You go to him without thanksgiving. It is taking our eyes off of him and putting them on ourselves and thinking that we could do it better. I know you're in control, but there's got a situation over here that I got to tell you about, and I really got to gripe and complain about it. 
I think you've missed it. Going without gratitude is to take your eyes off the sovereign God of the universe and put it on yourself, which is the essence of idolatry. So Paul says no matter what you're facing that could bring potential anxiety, approach God in prayer with thanksgiving, remembering in the midst of trial or loss or challenge or struggle, whatever it is that you're facing right now, God has been very good to us. As you do that, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I want you, you need to know something here. Paul does not say, pray and God will give you everything that you ask for so that you can have joy and peace. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? Except that we don't know. He says, pray, aligning your hearts to God, acknowledging your dependence on His sovereign goodness with thanksgiving and complete trust. I know that you're going to do what is right and good and best. And this brings peace, the opposite of anxiety. We have said, shared this with you before. We have a tendency to think of peace as just the absence of conflict, right? We think we're at peace if we aren't fighting or arguing or we aren't shooting each other. But the biblical concept of peace is much more than that. It speaks of well-being. It speaks of harmony, specifically harmony in relationships. Hold on to that. It speaks of having your life well-ordered and aligned with God. So when you... When you said shalom, when you said peace to somebody, it, it speaks of the, the well-being of God and the harmony of God in that relationship affecting these relationships be yours. Big question is this peace of God, is it the peace that God has in himself or is it the peace that God gives his people? You're going, really? Which one? You'd be surprised. They write for pages on that. I think that it has, since he's talking about not being anxious, and if you will just go to God in prayer, then the God of peace, who, who has peace in himself, will give you peace. Comes from who he is. And we remember that peace, like joy and gentleness, we're starting to see a theme here, Peace, like joy and gentleness, is a fruit of the Spirit, a result of the indwelling presence and fullness of the Spirit of God and our dependence on Him. So by becoming a person of intentional prayer instead of anxiety, the peace of God, becoming a person of intentional prayer, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Hearts and minds. Speak of the totality of who you are as a person. Minds. Heart. That was the center of being. You'll have peace in all of that, even in the, the pit of your stomach. All of who you are. But I want you to notice something that's critically important. He says, this peace will guard your hearts and minds, plural. Yes, 
Peace comes to us as individuals, but I want you to understand that biblical peace is lived out in the context of community because the concept of biblical peace is always a social concept. Peace means, remember, harmony in relationships. So I have harmony with him, which affects my harmony with each other. And all of a sudden, we, we begin to see how all of this is tied together. We got a divided church, and he says, well, it, it, this, this division was probably bringing anxiety. And he says, will you just be a people of prayer and, and pray for each other and see if that doesn't bring peace in relationships. Peace affects the way we live in community. His peace is our peace, which brings joy-filled community. So whoever it is right now that you are not living in peace with, you pray and see if God does not bring about biblical harmony and peace. This peace guards our hearts and minds, guards a very specific word that would have caught the attention of the Philippian church. Remember, they were a Roman colony. This colony was filled with retired Roman soldiers. And this, you see, would have been a very familiar term used rather regularly. Um, it, it was a military word. The peace of God will be a garrison, like a garrison of soldiers. It will be a a garrison around your hearts and minds. It will set itself up as a protection all around the community of believers, security and protection that will guard your hearts and minds together. It sounds very inviting. And this peace, he says, surpasses all comprehension. That either means it's something that we don't get, you know, that he just gives it and we're going, I don't know where that came from. Or more likely, it's a peace that our human minds can't conjure up. I, I'm finishing right now and I need you to focus in. This peace that surpasses human comprehension is a peace that our minds can't conjure up, which brings us full circle. All of that stress all of that anxiety, all of those sleepless nights trying to figure things out, coming up with all kinds of plans and solutions so that you can sleep and have peace won't work like this. All of those exceptional human abilities and astounding insights and even that... Um, uh, very perceptive, godly counsel that you get cannot reduce the anxiety the way God's peace that comes through prayer brings. God's peace, the peace that He gives, will surpass all that your human intellect has been unable to produce. That's what He means. In the midst of your stress, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your anxiety, God's peace is yours for the asking. Whatever it is that you're facing, whatever, whatever it is, whatever challenges you are facing, whether they're like those physical financial challenges that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, or if they are, are, are relational challenges with people maybe even in this church or maybe even people that live under the same roof as you, 
take it to the God of the universe who will, in his sovereign goodness, hear and answer your prayers. Let's stand for prayer. Father, this is an incredible passage of Scripture. It's one that has been so meaningful to the church throughout the centuries that many have committed it to memory. Many people here read that passage, yep, read that before, memorized that, heard that before. But Father, it is a convicting word. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all human comprehension will guard this community's hearts and minds. It'll be a protection about us in Christ Jesus. I pray for that in Jesus' name.